0: Hi, I'm Simone W. Darnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional, new to the United States, and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. Today, we have another interesting interviewee for you. His name is Malik Hydera and he's a Foreign Service Officer with the US, USAID, United States Agency for International Development. And in this capacity, he devoted the past 12 years working to advance the U.S. government's foreign, foreign assistance objectives in Central America. Africa, and Asia. From 2014 to 2018, he served as the Director of the Economic Growth Office at USAID Mission in Rwanda, where he oversaw a diverse portfolio consisting of agricultural development, private sector development, access to finance, trade policy, energy, and rural infrastructure development projects. From 2018 to 2020, he was the deputy director of the economic growth and agriculture office of the USAID mission in Pakistan, where he led the US government's effort to modernize the Pakistani agricultural sector. He returned to USAID headquarters in Washington DC in 2020, where he is currently serving as the managing director of the private sector engagement hubs institutional support team. In this capacity, he is focusing on creating the institutional conditions and operating infrastructure necessary for the agency to increasingly work hand-in-hand with the private sector to achieve greater development and humanitarian outcomes. And prior to joining USAID, Malik built a career in the financial sector. He worked as a financial research analyst for the Standard & Poor's in Denver, Colorado, and as Corporate Credit Analyst for ETrade Financials in Arlington, Virginia. Malik received his Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Economics from the National Polytechnic Institute in Côte d'Ivoire and his Master of Science in Finance from the University of Colorado in Denver. So welcome, Malik. Malik hails from Côte d'Ivoire. Would you like to give us a little bit about your background and where you're from, Malik?
1: Thank you so much, uh, Simone, for for having me and for giving me an opportunity to uh, to share my experience as an immigrant here in the United States um, with your audience. I was born and raised in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, which is uh, uh, a country located in uh, in West Africa. Both my parents um, are from uh, from Mali, and um, I'm. Come from a pretty large family. I had I have sixteen brothers and sisters. Now we are all located, you know, in different part of the uh, world in Europe, America, and also, you know, in Mali and uh, in uh, and, and Côte d'Ivoire. And I um, first arrived uh, to the United States um, in November two thousand one for a short visit, and then I returned back in two thousand two to pursue a um, a master's degree at the University of, uh, of Colorado. Um, so based on my origin, I mean, based on where I am from, uh, I am a French speaker. Um, Cote d'Ivoire is a Francophone uh, country, so I grew up uh, speaking French. And also um, our na- uh, native language, which is uh, Bambara. Bambara is uh, a most predominant um, uh, language spoken in Mali, where my, uh, my parents are from, and English is actually
0: my third um language great to hear you're quite exposed to different languages I wonder is English actually kind of like a third language spoken in Cote d'Ivoire as well or um, you've just learned on your own
1: not at all English is not even spoken in Cote d'Ivoire um, we actually do uh, um take some english classes you know uh, in school um from uh, from seventh grade all the way to uh to college right and um, but that is purely purely academic you know we don't you know have any sort of like conversation after class you know it's sort of like you go into class and learn some grammar rules and some vocabulary and then right after class there's no more english until the next english class so basically there's a little opportunity to even practice um uh-huh, English while there right so and you know I'm lucky enough you know based due to my career I was able to even learn um, a fourth language I am also fluent in spanish as well right now
0: very good because i believe you also served you did some time in latin america as well right
1: that is correct that is great i worked uh, in honduras um, uh, from 2011 to 2013, and before going there, we, I had to actually take um, some Spanish language um, training uh, because that language was a requirement um, before I could even start, you know, my, uh, my, my position there in Honduras.
0: Very good, very good. Well, congratulations. You seem to have done very well since joining USAID.
1: Um, I'm pretty pleased where I am right now, and I think it's, it's a path that, that continues, and I'm doing a lot of stuff that I really love uh, doing, yeah. Happy to hear, happy to hear. You came
0: over as an F1 student to pursue your master's degree, right, and um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, did you, what was your American dream? You know, once you came and then you decided to come back to pursue a master's degree, what was your American dream? And what were some of the challenges that you faced in getting to that American dream?
1: Um, great question, uh, Simone. Um, I wanted to be a, a fund manager in a large investment bank or wealth um, management firm here in the United States. Um. My first introduction to uh, to stock and commodity market was during an agricultural commodity trade class during my undergrad in Côte d'Ivoire. And we had a teacher who actually I think he studied um, in France and uh, during the class he came and, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how agricultural commodity um, are being traded on the international market, and we found it. I personally found it very, very fascinating. I mean, that is something that I had never really heard about. You know, in Cote d'Ivoire, while we had uh, a small stock market that is way not you know as active as the um, the New York stock market, but we don't we don't even have a commodity market, and that sort of like. You know um prompted some a, a big interest in me and i'm like you know what that is something that i i would like to learn more uh, more about and you know and i came to the us i'm like okay, let me go ahead and try to uh to study um uh, finance and so i can actually you know do something more about that and then when i arrived and i was still more exposed to um um you know the stock market with not just commodity and I'm like, Damn, I mean, how, I like to be a fund manager for an investment bank, but along the way, I think uh, the, there were some challenges, right, in, in doing so, in getting to that to that dream. Um, the first challenge that I will actually uh, mention here first it was uh, the high cost of the tuition. Um, I knew what I was getting myself into coming to America. Right, and uh, the plan initially that you know when I say what I was getting myself into, I'm talking about you know the cost of uh, the education here. You know, it's uh, it's 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 extremely high, and as an international student as well, I mean, I think I I I had to actually pay even more than you know those in state um uh on, on tuition, right?
0: Yes, that's so- true. I am aware of this. So for those who are listening and are not um, aware of this. But stu- uh, students who come from abroad to study in the United States, it does cost them more than people who are uh, living absolutely. in the United States who are residents or citizens, as well as it costs people who, who are from a specific state and those who come from another state to study in a particular state. So there are different costs depending on where you are located or where you are from.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, in my particular case, I I think um, at the University of uh, of Colorado in Denver, even though it was public, you know, university, I was paying actually as an international student three times more than, you know, uh, what the institution was. So um, absolutely, absolutely. So so, when I arrived, I think, you know, uh, the, the plan, right, the plan was for my parents to pay for my tuition. Right. And um, but then, you know, the business were doing very well in Côte d'Ivoire. And, and you know, I think that and I came, you know, they, I had uh, I had uh, cash for the first, you know, uh, you know, um, to pay for tuition tuition problem, But unfortunately, two months after my arrival, um, you know, the um, uh, there was a civil war that broke out in Côte d'Ivoire where, you know, my parents you know uh, run the business and the war started in September 2002 it uh, was significantly disrupted by the operation and uh, you know I, it was it was becoming you know very challenging for them to actually continue facing the you know the uh continue to pay for my um, tuition so i then took on um myself to actually do that so i had to actually uh, work full time and as you know as an international student you are not allowed to work outside of a campus so i was working on campus you right and uh, that also come with uh uh, certain limitation because the job that you can get on campus, you know, the pay that will, you will get is a little bit sort of limited or compared to what you know you could get on the uh, in the local economy, right? <clears throat> As I said earlier, the the uh, tuition was so high, and now I had to face you know paying for not only my high you know cost of tuition but also my my living expenses, and uh, so. But what really helped me in here is that. I was able to arrange a tuition payment installment plan um, with the university. So under the plan, I was allowed to complete my master's, um, but the university will retain my degree until the tuition is paid in full. Wow. I was I was grateful for that. I was like, okay, well, at least you know I can stay in the US, continue going to school, right, and then you know work, continue work hard continue working hard to actually pay, you know, for, for, for remainder funds. Luckily I was able to graduate in 2004 and, uh, and I paid for, you know, my, uh, uh, my tuition in 2008, four years later. The
0: Congratulations, right? Congratulations. Three thank- times thank the regular
1: and you, you yes. did it in four years. Yes. It was about, it was about $40,000 in total, right? Because I think, um, for the masters at the University of Colorado, we were charging about a thousand dollar per credit. So, but that was back in twenty in two thousand two. So, I think right now it might be even higher. Um, there was another challenge in pursuing my dream. That was the language. The language, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. um, yes, English is my third language. I grew up in Cote d'Ivoire, speaking French and Bambara. Right. And, um, you know, uh, when I came to America, I had very limited, uh, a very limited ability, you know, to have a decent conversation in English. As a matter of fact, I could not even understand what the pilot was saying on the plane you know, during the trip to America.
0: Wow. On your Just, first trip or this was on the or you improved a bit on the second trip?
1: On my first trip. Okay. On my first trip, yeah, I could not even understand the, the pilot was actually speaking. I'm like, okay, what is he saying? But anyways, <laughs> and <clears throat> so th- that challenge, I think it's it's uh, during my first trip, I was here for just a couple of months, right? So that wasn't really enough time, you know, to significantly improve my English. Anyways, before I um I can start my uh, my master's program, right? Yeah. But, you know, but given that I had studied, I had taken some English classes in school and during undergrad and uh, uh, high school and so forth, I had, I did have some basic in grammar, you know, and vocabulary and things like that, which actually really helped me um, to, uh, to continue actually learning on my own and then, you know, and be able to read my textbook and then try to understand. So what I was actually doing, right? Um, because of that language, I will say, challenge, I thought I had to actually study twice as much as other students in order to better understand the class. So what I was doing before every single class, I, re- I read the entire chapter you know, of uh, the next lecture in the textbook because mm-hmm. I knew that going into class the next morning I might be able to catch maybe two-thirds of what, you know, the, yeah, the teacher, I mean, the professor was going to say. So I needed to actually have, like, a head start on the class. And that's what I was doing during the entire, um, uh, during the entire two years that I spent, you know, doing my, uh, uh, my master program. Reading the, the, uh, the, the, the chapter entirely and trying to understand on my own before going into class. That has been very helpful.
0: Wow, wow you, you invested quite a bit of time into getting through each class I can imagine.
1: Absolutely absolutely I, I had to because I, I know um, that I have no room for failure I could not given the cost you know of, uh, of uh, um, you know, this program, I cannot, I cannot play any games trying to actually fail any class and having to retake that class again. So for me, You know, I didn't have that much option. I had to go all in in order to actually, you know, complete all classes successfully, you know, and also timely because I wouldn't, I couldn't really afford, you know, being in school for longer than what I I only need to actually complete my degree.
0: Wow. Did you have any, any sort of support? I mean, because you mentioned your parents were overseas and you sounded like you came along. Did you have any sort of friends, any um, maybe family friends or in your community, Ivorian community, did you have any sort of support?
1: I do. I did, actually, I did. Uh, I was actually, back then, I was uh, uh, living um, uh, with my sister uh, when I first arrived for the first year. And she was, you know, in Colorado with her, her, her husband. So I uh, I was uh, in the, um, uh, living with them um, during that time. And that was extremely, extremely helpful to me because I didn't really have to worry too much about, you know, food, you know, and uh, lodging and all of that. Uh, but uh, during the second year, I actually, you know, had to uh, uh, take on my, rent my own place, you know, and continue uh, um you know, my, uh my, uh, my program. That's when I I first started uh, working as well.
0: Okay. Okay. So it was studying, uh, it sounds like triple time and working, taking on your own place and also trying to pay for tuition at the same time. Well, I applaud you for sticking to it because you're, you're way further now in your American
1: dream. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, I think, but uh, you know, we, determination and, uh, staying focused is what actually I think has really helped me.
0: Very good. Very good. Could you speak to any opportunities that may have come along your way, um, during this season of life, people who may have helped you, you know, could be strangers, could be friends, information that you may have found that just made things a little easier, uh, uh, advised you about information or access to a program that you may not have known about.
1: Yes, um, I think <clears throat> the uh, the biggest opportunity that came along in uh, reaching my American dream um, was actually meeting meeting my wife Alexandria, which who I think you know. Yeah. Um, yes. So. Um, basically, the, among the many opportunities that she was actually the source um, of during our 17 years of marriage, the one that is actually relevant, you know, to uh, this conversation is that um, she's the one who actually introduced me to the Foreign Service, as she was herself a Foreign Service Officer uh, mm-hmm. for the Department of State. And, and um, uh, as I said earlier, I wanted to be a fund manager, right? And an investment fund manager. Um, But now I'm a foreign service officer. So as you can see, my American dream uh, has shifted, right? From, I mean, to a completely different sector.
0: Yes.
1: Um, Before I met my wife, you know, I had never heard of a foreign service uh, career track, never. And it wasn't even a plan. but uh, uh, she gave me the opportunity. I mean, uh, that, that uh, to learn about uh, this career track and uh, trying to understand, and then trying to actually see how well this will fit in everything that I wanted to uh, uh, to achieve. And here, so this gave me joining the Foreign Service gave me an opportunity to represent the U.S. government in high level. Um, you know, discussion in the countries where I have served. And I, I receive, I even received a, a token of appreciation from the president of Honduras in 2013. That is something I would have never, never thought about in my widest dream, that a president of a country will actually recognize me for anything at all. And oh,
0: congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, I led important discussion as well with you know high-level government officials in each of the countries where I have worked, but more importantly though, I've been able to impact you know the lives of hundreds of thousands of households um, through my leadership role in the uh, in the programming of the u s foreign assistance budget in the country where I have served and for me, that is um that is uh, a, a, a an important achievement i think that so joining the foreign service is actually a big opportunity for me you know in, in 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 making progress toward my american dream as as you can see that which has already which has shifted from being a fund manager now to being a foreign service officer
0: wow do you think you'll ever go to probably pursue some something on the financial side, um, as maybe a side hustle or something, or are you fully committed to uh, your role at this time?
1: I am fully committed, you know, uh, at my role right now as a foreign service officer, and I'm still active, sort of, like in the financial market, but not, you know, um, um, to. Uh, to develop a new career or to start a new career, you uh, know, it's as a, on a personal um, basis. I'm, you know, following very closely what is going on in the stock market and uh, also advise, you know, my uh, um, friends and, and, and family, you know, on um, investment and, and things like that, but not necessarily to, uh, to start a career per se.
0: Join us next week for part two of this episode. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, Subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review. And sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.